Well, uh, John thought it was worthwhile that I have a prop today. Uh, I don't know if you guys recognize one of these or not. Uh, have you seen one of these before? Anybody? There's some puzzled looks out there. Uh, a friend of mine said that if the Boy Scouts would do away with these, they might have better marketing effort. These are the neckerchiefs that Boy Scouts wear, and John wanted me to wear it today. I just thought I'd bring it, though. But I am an Eagle Scout. There we go. There we go. And uh, an Eagle Scout is one of those few things in life that is always said in the present tense. Did you know that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I, I am a parent. I will always be a parent, so that's in a present tense. But most of our accomplishments in life are always in the past tense. I would prefer to say I was an Eagle Scout, but I'd break some kind of unwritten rule, I suppose. Anybody from southern Indiana around here? I got to admit, it's prettier in southern Indiana than it is in central Indiana, and down there, the Blue River snakes through the countryside in a very amazing way. And it was along the banks of the Blue River where I got a good amount of my merit badges during my pursuit of this Eagle Scout thing. And uh, that happened about 40 years ago, which is a really weird idea to try to wrap my brain around. But the badge that came to mind for this week is Wilderness Survival. The Wilderness Survival Badge I got this brand new red, white, and blue American backpack that I had to strap on my back, and it put all my stuff for the weekend in there to go on this cross the hills of southern Indiana expedition. No, no like campsites, no nothing. And so to, to get this merit badge, you had to put together your own place to sleep at night, your own tent you had to do. And so as my dad and I and some of the other scouts were walking across these hills, about two o'clock in the afternoon, just a deluge came. It just started raining so so intensely that it was time to set up our tents. It was that time of the day to set up the tent because there was no, there was no reason to keep walking because it just was going to keep coming. So what I discovered is the tent that I put together was inadequate. We found out within an hour or so both my dad, because I was the one that had to put this tent together and dad was sleeping there with me, we both had soaked feet within just an hour or so because of how inadequate the tent was. I don't know if any of you have ever camped with wet feet. That's about as bad as it gets when you're camping because it, it takes a while to recover that. But, but with this badge, it gave me some ideas to think about like the survival idea that, that, that we live as believers in this thing. And, and some of us are bunkered we're just we're down and we're going to survive this thing and get the golden card at the end of the road or we can live this thing called an abundant life right and the abundant life is like bring it on let's go out in the wilderness and check this thing out so i had this idea of an tent because throughout scripture have you ever noticed that our body is referred to as a tent have you ever seen that in there that this thing that you see here is just a temporary thing and it it's only here for that long and so the idea of a tent stuck in my head, and I thought, well, if I were going to do a kind of build my own tent today, I would have four stakes in that tent, four corner stakes, and then a, a center pole to hold up the middle of the tent. 
And, and the reason is because stuff falls on the middle of the tent, right? Like if you don't have something in the middle, it's going to collapse on you. And so I thought I would throw out five ideas to you today. I'd start with the center pole and work through those other four stakes that I think are critical to living this adventure called life. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Ever heard that verse before? It's a good one. The center post would be Ephesians 3.20. Anybody seen that verse before? If you haven't, it's worth underlining in your Bible. It says, He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you can think or imagine. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you can think or imagine. So the first part of that is He is. He is. Just like I am a scout, that's nothing compared to He is. When Moses was trying to figure out how to go deal with Pharaoh, he said, uh, God, who, who should I tell him is sending me? And he says, tell him I am sent you. Did you notice that? I am sent you. That our God lives in the present tense. He, nothing is future or past. He lives right here, right now, and he's able to be with you right now. He is. And then the able part is whatever falls on your situation may seem like your world is crumbling and falling in, but it's not. It's not. You've got a center post in Christ that can deflect those things. It may feel like it's falling in, but our feelings aren't always right. Yeah, I, I was looking around as I was preparing to come up here, and I, I know some of your stories, and I know some of the heartache and some of the circumstances you've lived through, and I can't even comprehend how you've walked through those things other than that center post in Christ. And He is, and He's able... And what about to do exceeding abundantly beyond? Like, that's like just screaming from the mountaintops. He's able to do more than you can think or imagine. <laughs> what does that even look like, right? Like the internet seems like a big deal today, but I don't, I don't even imagine like when he created that and put it in the minds of people that he even thought that was a big deal, right? Because he made the earth. He made all the stars. He made air. He made air as a great invention, right? Like oxygen. That's, he's able to do things that are beyond anything we can imagine until we do like what Rusty said. We plug in and listen to the Spirit inside of us, directing and giving us insight. So the first, so that, that's your center post, is you have a, a supernatural, unbelievable God in the middle of your life that is going to deflect and take you through whatever circumstances. Like, if you can dwell on that and appreciate that, life is beyond anything you can imagine. But then a corner stake that I'd put in first is in 1 John chapter 2. If you want to flip over there, there's three consecutive verses that I'll give you your uh, three stakes. And um, the, the, the first one is 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. John says, little children know their sins are forgiven. He didn't say little children think their sins are forgiven. He said little children know their sins are forgiven. And so as you're walking this journey out in the wilderness of life and trying to figure out how this thing goes and you've got your center post of Jesus, first thing you got to know is that you live in a state of forgiveness. There's nothing you're going to screw up today that as a follower of Christ, let me put that caveat in there, as a follower of Christ, there's nothing today that you're going to do that wasn't taken care of on the cross 2,000 years ago. And you live in this state of forgiveness, which means that I can be free to listen to that voice that's telling me to do things, that I might 
do something that I didn't hear right, but he isn't waiting up there with a big stick to hit you. He's wanting you to follow him and go do what he's putting into your head and your heart to do. I'll throw this out there. Uh, just You can bug me about this later. Uh, but if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore. I know that may be a new idea to some of you, but uh, you can ask me about it later. Uh, if, if that's new information to you or Rusty or, or a number of other people in here. But you don't have to do that. You live in a state of forgiveness. The object of this journey, this, this cross-country expedition, is not to avoid sin. Did you know that? That's not what this thing is about. This thing is about listening to this God of the universe that dwells in your spirit. Like he's got outrageous, unbelievable things for you to adventure in, people to meet, people to encourage, to go on mission trips to Katrina, to go out and, and just do amazing things, even in your just ordinary day of life. Just go about doing things. And so you, you are just prepared and able to do amazing things. Stake number two is 1 John 2, verse 13. Young men in the faith have overcome the evil one. So, so the little children know that they live in a state of forgiveness. The young men of the faith have overcome the evil one. What does that even look like? Like, has anybody in here ever been overcome by the evil one? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand too high. I, I, I'm assuming everybody in here has. You just a little bashful. But I've had my butt kicked many times by the evil one. Am I allowed to say that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and yet, I have overcome the evil one. Like, I have gone through miserable things by the power of Christ living in me. And, and the key, a key to overcoming the evil one is in Romans uh, chapter 7, verses 17 and 20. Kind of kick it in. And in those verses, Paul has this epiphany and he says, no longer am I the one doing it. Just two letters in that word, it. And I don't think you have the possibility of overcoming the evil one until you find out what that it is. I don't know, um, like it refers to something, right? No longer am I the one doing it. And some people probably teach that it is referring to no longer am I the one sinning, which it can't be that because First John chapter 1 says if we say that we don't sin, the truth isn't in us. And so the it is I am no longer the one creating these ungodly thoughts that come across my head. Anybody ever had any ungodly thoughts? I know we didn't have anybody in here who has been overcome by the evil one, but anybody in here who had a couple ungodly thoughts? Yeah, and what's crazy is ungodly thoughts may not be the thoughts that you think they are because the one that's attacking our soul is the deceiver. Some examples of ungodly thoughts might be things like, uh, I need to do more. Like, God needs me to do more. Or, I'm not good. I'm not pretty. I'm not handsome. Like, they, they, they just sound like ordinary thoughts, but those are ungodly thoughts that are coming from this source that is not me. I'm a failure. Uh, another one that's really crazy is, I need to quit thinking these thoughts. <laughs> Anybody ever have that thought? I need to quit thinking these thoughts. And there's this thing in our body called sin, 
And sin is the communicator of those sort of thoughts. This thing lives in our physical body and puts thoughts in our heads to deceive us. And so when Paul says, I'm no longer the one doing it, it's those thoughts that are ungodly thoughts are not created by Keith Tyner. Wow, that's nuts. And, and, and then, uh, if I'm not the one creating those thoughts, then in first, or 2 Corinthians 10.15, he says, take every thought captive to the glory of God. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How in the world do you do that? Watch this video real quick. This thing is crazy. Have you seen this before? I, I don't even understand this. Did you see that? Watch it again here. I never really appreciated Kobe, but he is bad to the bone right here. Watch this. And he fakes the ball. I mean, somebody in it. Did you guys see that? Raise your hand if you're impressed with that. That blows me away. Like Caleb will, like, he'll throw his fist at me and I'll fall over. But like, that dude is this close to Kobe. And I was listening to an interview yesterday with Kobe Bryant and they asked him about that moment. And you know what Kobe said? He didn't say it. I don't know whether Kobe knows Jesus or not, but he said, I take every thought captive. He didn't say it that way, but he said in that instant, how he did not flinch was he was able to think that Barnes is not going to hit me in the face with that ball because he will get kicked out of the game. <laughs> how in the world? Can you, can you believe that? It's like in that instant, he was able to take that thought and, and not flinch and I don't know that any of us can process thoughts that quickly. Maybe we can, I don't know. But, but as we begin to process thoughts, it's going to happen more quickly. It's going to be, that's a lie, that's a lie, this is truth, that's a lie, this is truth. But if we're not taking every thought captive and we think that we're the source of all these thoughts, we're going to be flinching everywhere. We're going to be like falling down and, and everything's going to go wrong on us. And so take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus, Second Corinthians ten fifteen. Just to, um, to throw this out to you, if, if I'm sorting out thoughts, in, in my belief system, we have three sources of thoughts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the last verse, I forget what that verse is, it says, we have, present tense, the mind of Christ. We have, present tense, the mind of Christ. And so what I believe is all the thoughts that are created by Keith are godly thoughts because I have the mind of Christ. His spirit united with my spirit so the first thing as I'm sorting out thoughts is as long as it's a godly thought, it's my thought. And I don't need to get rid of that thought. Second source of thoughts are our senses combined with our, our brain, our memories. Anybody have any bad memories stored in their brain? Anybody? You have emotions associated with those? Anybody have emotions associated with memories stored in your brain? And so you could see something that causes you to go back to that memory, all of a sudden emotions start cranking inside of you, right? And, and, and so if you're not able to take that thought captive, then you're going to get caught back in that moment and that however you responded to that situation and you're going to get all of a sudden flinching and falling down and, and not in control of things. So your senses combined with your memories. And then I just told you earlier that you have this thing in your body called sin. It's, it's the messenger. It's a false Holy Spirit of the evil one. And its whole purpose is just deceive you so that you might not find this abundant life as you're going about this this wilderness expedition. 
Third stake, 1 John 2.14, fathers know God. Fathers know God. Like fathers aren't out working. The fathers of the faith aren't out working for God. They know Him. Yeah, isn't that crazy? They know God. Like Kobe Bryant, I assume there's a lot of basketball fans like to go have dinner with Kobe or something and say that they know Kobe. But I can tell you, I know God. Like God is cool and He's my friend. And He's a God that likes to hang out with us. And the fathers of the faith know Him in such a way that they can go through difficult circumstances. Stuff's coming down and hitting their center post, right? Just horrible things are coming against their center post. Like, all right, God, I don't know exactly how this thing's going to go down or how you're going to deliver, but you're able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all I can think or imagine. So I'm going to just trust you with this thing. I'm going to trust you with it. And so the, the, the fathers know him. They know that God longs to hang out with you. Like God will just hang out with you in whatever situation. Uh, I like to shoot basketballs. He'll do that. Or if I go for a run, he'll do that. If I'm working, he'll hang out with me at work. He'll do, he'll do whatever. But as we begin to be in awe of God and recognize what he's doing around us, and he's doing all kinds of stuff around us, as we can see that and recognize it, this friendship intensifies that we have with the God of the universe. What if you're able to just believe he's able? What if you just believed he's able to do anything? Like, like, that he can do things that you can't even envision. Like that is it's mind-boggling to me to think that God will intervene in my life with something that I can't even comprehend that he could do. I was meeting with a friend this week and we were I was compelled to kind of encourage him to encourage a friend to consider reconciliation in a relationship. Like, I haven't seen this guy in a long time, and we were in a distant city from here, and I was just encouraging him that a friend of his doesn't have a lot of time to reconcile with this fellow that is uh, sick. And I got a text while I was in the meeting that the person that I was telling this guy to tell to reconcile with is, is within a few, probably hours of his finish line, which was crazy. Like, who, who could imagine that? Like, I couldn't imagine that these things would happen like that. But that's, that's this God that's able to do crazy things in our life. Um, I think even just knowing him better just gives rest in your soul, you know? Like, that it's going to be all right. I don't know what all right's going to look like. But I've found that if I can reduce my expectations of what all right looks like, like if I reduce expectations in my life, sounds kind of passive, but... The what's wrong, Jeannie? Did I, are they too low already? What is <laughs> yeah, expectations tend to bring stress into our lives. But if if God is able to do things that we can't even comprehend, like we can't even understand what He's going to do, it's so far out there. And if we can believe that, and I can let go of some of these expectations, all of a sudden the stuff that I was concerned about will be taken care of through His power and not through Keith's power. Fourth stake. This one, uh, I, I struggled with many, many years ago and brought it to closure probably 25, 30 years ago. So I don't even, it doesn't even register in my head that it's such a critical stake. Uh, but it is. I know that a lot of people struggle with this one. So if you go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. 
it basically says this is the record that God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then he finishes off that section. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. I didn't know for a long time that I had eternal life. But if you read that little section of Scripture, it's like the the permanent record that you can know that you have eternal life. Like that you can confidently pound the table and know that I have eternal life. A lot of us maybe grew up in, in different forms of teaching where if I tripped and stumbled or said something or did something or chewed something or drank something or spit something that maybe I'd lose this, this eternal life that I have. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if I trust in Jesus... I can know that I have eternal life. I can lay my head on the pillow tonight and know, should I have a brain aneurysm? It doesn't change anything. This body just stops and the spirit just keeps moving straight ahead. I can know that. It's a big deal. If any of you in here don't know that, track down Rusty, Matt, John, Jim, Keith, whoever, and talk about it today because you really, that's going to help you along this journey to have that fourth stake in the ground there. Wilderness survival was one of my, I think, most memorable merit badges I got through that process of Boy Scouts. I don't know if it was because there was some intimidating ideas of going through. They, they didn't have, we didn't use trails back then. I don't know, like if you guys go into parks now where they have trails that you stay. We didn't, we didn't do that. That was that was silliness. We, we walked just, across and you never knew what you're going to come across didn't know whether your food was going to be cooked properly and all that stuff but there there was a lot of things on that journey that were fun and and part of it was even the memory you know that I did that with my dad that we we walked through those woods and we got soaking wet we survived that thing the blue the little blue river is down there filling up and and all kinds of cool things but but that's the journey. There's going to be times when we go into survival mode in our journey. There's going to be times when we're probably not going to overcome the evil one. But but that's the purpose of not walking this thing alone, right? Like I would never go out in the woods alone and go on a big hike. That's crazy. Going on a walk through this journey called life and doing it alone without building some intimate friendships and knowing some people that know Jesus and want to walk it with you would just be a silly, silly thing. And in your survival, you would have that eternal life, but you may get beat up a lot along the way. So, so this tent that we live in is just a temporary experience. This thing, this body is a temporary thing. And clinging to this thing is not the point of the journey. Clinging to that center post, the God of the universe is the key. And listening to the things that he brings across, across our path We'll take this tent to places unknown. It's temporary. It's movable. We can end up in places we would have never expected as we can look at it from that way. And, and a lot of times I think that the fear of the unknown maybe will bring that constipation that Rusty was talking about to us believers that we're afraid that if we go outside and pack this tent and go somewhere that we don't know that something is going to happen to us. And, and the fact is, Something will happen to you. Because Peter says, uh, he said, like, uh, why are you so upset that something bad happened to you? 
Did you know Peter said that? He said, why are you so worked up that something bad happened to you? Because that's the natural Christian life. Bad things happen to you. How's that for some encouragement? The, the natural Christian life is bad things happen. And as we go about this journey, we get to see that center post deliver us through those difficult things. And, and, and if you have that center post in place and you have some of those four stakes in place, the journey really begin, becomes more and more interesting as you go through those things. And so uh, what I'd like you to just know today, to, I'd like you to know that, that he is able I'd like for you to know that he uh, has given you eternal life and that life is in his son. I'd like you to know that your sins are forgiven, that you live in a state of forgiveness. I'd like for you to come to appreciation how to overcome the evil one and um, just enjoy the rest that he has for you. Father, thanks for the time to hang out today. Thanks for all these godly folks in here and just just the great time to hang out with one another. So at one point back in the early 90s, we were playing racquetball and you asked me if I live in a state of forgiveness and I looked at you like, never heard that question before. I don't, I don't, I I think I ask it differently. I think I said, what must a Christian do for forgiveness of sins? I don't remember exactly. It was a few years ago. That's what I, I I thought it was really cute. And then, um, and then I tripped myself up when I asked you that. So I. So of those stakes that you've planted, where do you say that you live mostly? Like you, you said, Aaron, um, know that you're forgiven, how to overcome the evil one, intimacy with the Father. You, you say you like, can you say like where you are? I'm not that I'm trying to measure you. I'm just wanting you to be transparent a little bit. Uh, we... We started RVing um, in 2006, and we've probably taken the RV 50 or 60,000 miles. The first day I was in downtown Chicago in rush hour in the rain, and I'd never driven anything that big. And my my hands were clinging to the steering wheel. I made Connie get out in the hood and stop traffic. I mean, this is insane. So, so my my my. <laughs> That's a good picture right there. Yeah, and and. and in my, in my, like, if you cling to something like this, I don't know if you've ever done this, like, do this real quick. Just go like this, as tight as you can. Hold it. Do you feel it in your shoulders? Like, it goes all the way to your shoulders. And I think that's how most of us walk our Christian life. So I did that from Chicago to Santa Monica, California. Can you imagine how exhausted I was at the end of that trip? And I feared that things would go wrong. But things just do. Like, I, I, the, the, this was joking about who scratched the RV most recently. Like it was me. John scratched it one time while Charlie was talking to me on the phone and he took out a uh, parking meter with our, with our RV. And so, so, so the, that's the most basic picture of this journey I can say is something that I was afraid of. And, uh, and so, uh, today, most of the time when I'm in the RV, my shoulders and my, my hands are relaxed, my shoulders relax. And that's mostly where I am today in my Christian journey. Every once in a while, I'll get, yeah, when I took out the, um, it was spring break last year, I tried to take out a, a fire hydrant and knocked out like, what, 10 or 12 feet of the side of the RV, John? So uh, these things happen in life. Like you're going to knock stuff down and, and, but, but yeah, so I think mostly I'm at rest in these, but. So, always. so of those stake posts though, like you've pretty much, 
know that you're forgiven, right? Yeah, I don't spend much time on that one. Like that's just um, that's just I just know that. Like I just that, right, that's why I say right. you should know that. And like I think like Kobe didn't like flinch. Like he just he knew something, right? Like you, you, you so so like the forgiveness thing doesn't. But overcoming the evil one. That 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 that's like he's constantly coming at me. So that 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 I think is just the journey. Like that he has strategies, or the Bible calls them schemes. And so, if one doesn't work, he comes at another way, right? Like if if he can't come at me directly, he's going to come at me through my children, maybe, or he's going to come at me through a business situation. So he's he's assume the more that you chase after the heart of Christ, the, the more that one intensifies. Like that's been my experience. That that one. That one just stays intense. Yeah, and but don't you think a huge part of that is just knowing the game? Oh yeah, like if I didn't if I didn't know what the game was, I uh, uh, it, it would be. I mean, I, I've I've struggled with a lot of things, and you know, I've gone through seasons of depression and things like that. But I just see that as all part of the the warfare. Yeah, and then the intimacy with the father is that an emotional thing, or what is the deal there? No, I, I think it's knowing. It's a knowledge thing, like a, an intimate knowledge of just um, trying to think of an example. You know, um, uh, like Caleb likes NASCAR, and we went to the NASCAR Hall of Fame last week. But just watching something as simple as God letting my son enjoy a NASCAR Hall of Fame thing is just enjoying the Father providing right. things yeah. that like he he wants us to enjoy life i think and he he provides for us all things that we want for or not want but what we need for life and we didn't need a trip to the nascar hall of fame but he gave us that and just cool watching that so just watching the trees you know as we drove down that way the trees none of them had any buds on and then as we drove back just appreciating that god's able to bring leaves back to trees every year like like i don't even know what that power is required but it's more than i can comprehend so enjoying just nature itself lets me see the God's goodness. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. You're released. There's a buzz in this monitor. Uh, it's it's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we Wednesday night, we've been having a great time with our high school students at our house. And Wednesday night, we actually talked about those verses, Keith, First John uh, two, twelve, and thirteen, and Stu over there. Yeah, he's like, oh gosh, he's calling me out. But we, we watch this. We ask the question: What percentage of the church, not Levener, but the church body that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, understands that basic, that first stake that Jesus? Forget has forgiven all sin, past, present, future, one time on the cross. What percentage of the church understands that? Just basic childlike faith. What'd you say, Stu? You were kind of harsh, but he, you said one, but we kind of gave it a 10% that if the church, if the whole church understands it, 10% of the church understands that. I don't know what you're, what you think, you know, 
that you, the whole forgiveness thing, but if that's your starting point, I write to you little children, and only 10% of the church understands that, then overcoming the enemy, we said maybe 5%, maybe 5% understand that. I write to you young men because you know how to overcome the enemy. And I write to you fathers, that third, that third post, because there's intimacy with the father that you just can enjoy. It's less than 5%. And that's the state of the church, at least according to our high school students. It's pretty crazy. So, uh, it's good stuff. Thank you, Keith.